Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, guys, stop, stop telling weed stories. We got to go back on the air here. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for... Wednesday, December 11th is just moments away. But before we get into it, they're talking about smoking weed and watching <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> it's a good movie. <laughs> uh, all right. Hour number two is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our dear friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Wednesday, December 11th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. this hour of the program we still got monroe anderson in studio election lawyer adolfo mondrago on his back and we welcome back our dear friend and host of the doris davenport show i hope she brings her dog doris davenport and now your host chicago reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Adolfo in the room, ready to throw a tough question at him. He's primed for his question. Before we do, they get an update from a young man? Uh, yeah, just a little uh, update here. Not really much going on in the news locally. Kind of a slow news day, I guess you could say. But I'm going to throw something in at you, Ben Uh-oh. Jarofsky. Habita, Adolfo habita. Mondrag on. Uh-oh. Monroe Anderson. Uh-oh. Welcome to the show, by the way, Adolfo. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, so a uh, quick question since the holiday's around the corner. Uh-huh. Ben Jarofsky, and since you you can, you can, don't have to sound... I'm so nervous about the question. Don't be nervous. Habita, habita, habita. It's an easy question. Okay. Let's figure out... I just decided to do this like five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. What is... The best Christmas movie. Uh, mm. Oh, oh boy. What's that movie? Oh, boy. What oh boy. is that movie? <laughs> uh, with the kid. He gets the, the BB Home, gun. Christmas Home Story. Oh, man. Come on. Oh, Christmas Story. Home Alone, man. Okay. I got to just tell you this, Adolfo. Uh, wait, let, let me give, you said the kid, let, so I was yeah. like, let, oh, let okay. me give my choice first. Yeah. Die Hard. Uh, die Hard is <laughs> good, man. Yeah. Die Hard's good. Die Hard. That's been a debate. That, now that's, that, that's, a, that's a big debate, yeah. Is Whether die hard it's a, hard, a Christmas movie or not. And it is. Uh, it's a, it's it is. It's a Christmas song. It's a Christmas movie. It's just not one of those. Um, and di- and uh, die, hard, die Hard 2 is set in Christmas, too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Die it's Hard. A, it's a Christmas movie. It's awesome. No, I saw our Thanksgiving time, they were playing Home Alone 3. Uh, oh, I think it was Home oh, Alone. Wow. It could have been Home Alone too. I was can't Macaulay remember. Culkin in it? Yeah, he was. Okay, in it. so it's not three. Oh, it's was two. It with Michael Jackson. Is it the one with Trump? Trump comes in in the plaza. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I've never seen it before. I saw like I, I, I tell you, I only saw about a half hour, but 
God, is that a bad movie? Yeah. It is. Actually, it's, so, the be- it's the better of the two, I think, in my opinion. But anyway, did, uh, did John Hughes direct it? You don't know. I don't know. Uh, all right. So, so uh, we're asking. Uh, we're asking all of you as well on the YouTube live stream chat. Let's figure this out before Christmas. So time. he says, uh, "Die." Uh, what did you say, Monroe? Die hard. And I said, "Christmas story." And uh, what do you say, Adolfo? I have to think about. It. There's so many. You know, one yeah. that I had hadn't thought in a while, but it's been playing on cable. Um, uh, Lampoon's vaca- Christmas Vacation. Oh, I love oh, that. Oh, man. <laughs> Chevy Chase. It's, it's a bit nip, nipply outside. No, nippy, no, nippy. No, no, there's, a lot, there's a lot of good ones. Like, It's, it's, a, it's a Wonderful yeah. Life is really oh, good. Yeah, that's so I've seen that many um, times. Uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, um, White Christmas. L- love Always. Yeah, Love Always. I'm not a big fan of Love Always, but uh, I, 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 I just liked it. Yeah. Uh, Christmas Story, I uh, I just love that one. Die Hard is the best. Uh, but, but it's hard to argue against Die Hard. I really <laughs> did enjoy it. I just don't think of it as a Christmas movie. Um, so remember, remember, remember when they're in the car and... Um, he starts playing this song, this rap, this rap song. Oh yeah, right. And, and he says, "Could you play us some Christmas music?" And he yeah. says, "This is Christmas yeah, music." Yeah. It? <laughs> so what the hell? Why not? What is the best Christmas movie? We'll see if we can get a poll going here. We'll post it on the Facebook page as well. If you're listening on the live stream chat, weigh in. Maybe we can get some uh, more talk about that as well. You know, it's the holiday season. Let's have a little fun here. What's the greatest Christmas movie? No one asked me. Thanks a lot, but I'm gonna say <laughs> mine. Is Friday after next? Oh, oh man! Uh, I again don't think of that as a Christmas movie, but whatever. I, I guess I have to say, if we choose your uh, selection as the Christmas uh, movie, uh, best Christmas movie of all time, uh, Dennis will send you uh, steak knives. Oh. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Let, you know, for, uh, steak knives will be in the mix. <laughs> Remember the steak knives uh, promotions? Oh, Fra- Frank's weighed in. He said his is Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh. <laughs> Well, that is a legitimate Christmas movie. I don't know if I'd make it my uh, top five. All right, Adolfo, here's the hard question for you. Don't right. duck and dodge, all right? Duck. All right. Uh, the Democrats voted uh, two uh, counts of imp- articles of impeachment yesterday against Donald John Trump. Mm-hmm. I, I applaud them for doing so. I believe that Donald John Trump deserves to be impeached. Uh, his obstruction of justice, which I don't even know if it's actually one of the two impeach- articles of impeachment. The obstruction of justice is as egregious as anything Nixon did uh, back in uh, 1973 with Watergate, uh, with his uh, open defiance of Congress and its subpoenas. So I do believe he deserves to be impeached. But my question to you is this. Did the Democrats wimp out uh, in the uh, 2003 and four when they didn't impeach George W. Bush? for openly lying about the reasons uh, we were supposed to go to war in Iraq? No, I don't think so. And I'll, uh, I, I guess on the spot, this is what I've come up with. Um, impeachment is like last resort emergency button kind of things that have to elevate to a very disastrous kind of situation, um, such as the one that we're experiencing now. Lying about the war, although, you know, it's a horrible thing. In fact, Cheney lied even after uh, he left office. He kept saying that there were weapons of mass destruction, and even though that was debunked years before. Um, Although that was a horrible thing to um, use to take us to war, I think it's the First Amendment provides for freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, freedom of expression, and therefore I think it's society's... um, a role there, the press, uh, organizations, etc., to counter 
lies like Trump when Trump lies about clearly truthful things, you know, things that are not uh, mm-hmm. what he says they are. And uh, about the war, I think the press and they did, they debunked the whole there was weapons of mass destruction. I think it's their role to counter a lie like that. Now, if a lie is uh, of, uh, um, of such nature that it is a high crimes and misdemeanor or it's a bribery associated lie or whatever, then, of course, it should be, uh, you know, cause for impeachment. But that lie alone, the, the lie about, well, there was weapons of mass destruction, I don't think is the kind that gets resolved with through an impeachment. I think it's the kind that gets countered through the First Amendment and the fact that we have newspapers and journalists, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Wow. Uh, should, should, should there be any kind of impeachment? Do you believe that the, the Democrats were justified in voting uh, for those two articles <clears throat> of impeachment? Absolutely. I think that that's at the heart of what impeachment is all about. And as benign or mundane as it may seem to Republican folk, which is BS because they don't believe that. Um, that is just because it's it it the the um, what they're impeaching them for, you know, extorting basically um, um, or, or taking bribery from uh, Ukraine. Although they didn't word it as bribery, they they worded it as abuse of power. Um, didn't explode in a manner that like you know the normal person would think like wow that was really egregious. What what he did is at the heart of what impeachment is about. Right, right. And right. and so whether whether it seems to you um, small or large or, or you know something um, that you, you is tangible to you as a normal citizen doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is that it's it if, if we allow this to happen and it sets precedence, it sets horrible precedents that start eroding our system of government. And the founding fathers put impeachment in the Constitution for Donald Trump or somebody Absolutely. like him. Right. I mean, it was, it was put in there because they, they, they debated it back in uh, 1787. Mm-hmm. They had this whole debate about whether it should do it. It's, and they said, well, one guy argued, and I forget the characters, but one argued that, well, if we can, we can get, if we have a, a, a bad president, we can get rid of him in an election. And um, they said, well, if he's a bad president and, he, and he's fooling the people, then he won't be gotten rid of. That's why we need a way of getting rid of him if he's out of control. You know, and, and with this, one of the Republican arguments right now is we're having an election in 11 months. Mm-hmm. So why impeach him? Well, we can do it. The, the American people can decide on it. Well... We know that Trump is cheating, has cheated, and will cheat to win the election. Yeah. So why would why would you keep him around so he could cheat and win again? Right, and um, <clears throat> part of the to debunk that Republican, you know, well we have an election coming up is impeachment doesn't say like well you can only do it in year three or year four year two year one you play a slippery slope argument when you say well you could only impeach during the first two years well then you say well what if the crime is nascent and it hasn't come up till year three or year four Mm -hmm. you know so there is no timeline first of all in the in the wording of it and even practic practically you can't 
impose a timeline because it leads to absurd results in terms of like, well, where do you put the dividing line in terms of pre this you can't impeach or post that you can't impeach? It's stupid. Impeachment by nature is the you know the the red button you know it's 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 only you you break this break the case only when you know you something like this happens and you have to because it doesn't matter about elections you know it's it's all it's in and of itself it's something that is so um so dangerous to our system of government that we can't wait for an election well i I, i've argued i see again i'm for the impeachment investigation. And in general, I welcome any kind of investigation. I like transparency. Mm-hmm. And I like when, when you have these types of investigations, truths come out uh, that are concealed. And then you could decide what the truth is. You know what I'm saying? As whether you believe Donald John Trump or whether you believe uh, like the ambassador uh, to the European Union. You know what I'm saying? Uh, on a very important piece of uh, a very important issue. But when I think about it, Adolfo, and I go back and look at my lifetime since I started paying attention, I think a very compelling case could be made to impeach Lyndon Baines Johnson. Uh, Monroe just pointed out, lied about the Gulf of Tonkin. The whole justification for the war in Vietnam, which killed thousands and scared, thousands and scared the living daylights out of me when I was in college. <laughs> Did not want to get drafted. Exactly. Okay. This is, let's just put that uh, impeachment article number one. Scared Monroe into smoking reefer. Uh, you could argue that Richard Nixon. There were impeachment articles drawn up against him, and we and that ignores his lying with the Vietnam War. And uh, and then then you go into George W. Bush and his lying. I could even argue that. Uh, well, was it just a matter of you're saying that simply because they lied or because they actively covered it up? I'm saying two twofold. It's a great question, challenging me to force me to uh, say what exactly I'm saying. I appreciate that. Twofold. One, in order to uh, rig up, uh, gin up support for a war that was unnecessary, they lied. Okay. And there were um, in. Uh, Huge consequences paid by other people for their lives right. and uh, sacrifice of ideals. Every every president has, uh, from Johnson to Nixon to Bush, has told us there's a compelling reason why you people should give up their lives. The greatest sacrifice they can make. There's a compelling national interest at stake, and then it turns out that there are no national interests right. at See, stake. So for me, if they actively covered it up so that the press and other people in society couldn't dig up the alternative argument to their lie, then I think that might rise so in other something words, impeachable. You're saying it's not an impeachable offense to Just lie. Just lie. No. I mean Trump lies every every other second, right? <laughs> and you're not gonna hold him impeach impeach him to every wow. single lie that he has. But like here, where they actively did things to obstruct, where they actively did things to conceal, that in and of itself, that nefarious activity right. is what is impeachable. And, and and we have national security at risk as a result of um, what Trump did in the Ukraine. Well, I would say national security was at risk in each one of these instances where uh, LBJ lied about that got us involved with the Vietnam War. Total national security is at risk. Well, we were, we, we were dropping napalm on brown people. That was okay. <laughs> I think that's an appeasable offense <laughs> right there. Uh, I know you're being sarcastic when you say that, but I'm struggling with this. Uh, you know, and then the alternative is to say nothing's impeachable. 
and that we just leave it up to the elections. But Monroe's point has always been that everything uh, Donald Trump has been doing since he uh, announced his campaign back in 2015 has been intended to win re-election. And if that means cutting deals well, the, the with other, right. the other, this is the other problem. <clears throat> it's Trump is a white supremacist, a white nationalist. He said he was a nationalist. He left the white off, but he said he was a nationalist. And his agenda has been to um, keep America white. His, if you look at his policies, particularly the immigration policies. Um, and so from my perspective, that's impeachable itself. Well, no, that's just, I mean, he has a right to believe what he believes, right? And yeah, but, it, to, but to act on it where you, you separate um, thousands of children from their mothers. Right, and that's for the courts, then that's the fight. Wait, time out. So <clears throat> do you think that's an impeachable offense? Yes. Separating uh, families uh, at the border is an I, impeachable I, no, offense. I, I think, no, I, 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 I think the um, entire white supremacist agenda, dividing Americans, um, I, I think that's an impeachable. But ginning up a war where whole families are blown up in Iraq is not an impeachable offense. Well, the problem with that is... Uh, the industrial military industrial complex. We were talking about this earlier has today. To, ha, ha, has to be fed. See, you know, there, there's one theory on. I mean, one of the defenses for the gun the the gun industry mm -hmm. is they keep us armed, so we can protect ourselves from the rest of the world. I mean, that's been an argument. There's there's actual merit to some of that argument because historically, you know, countries that produced the, the ones that won the wars were the ones that produced the better guns, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, but anyway, um, I again, the thing about lies, it, it's not that the lie in and of itself is always impeachable. It may be in certain circumstances. But to me, I think most of the time, if you're going to get someone impeached on lies or a lie, it's because of whatever... The nefarious activities to cover up mm -hmm. that lie, you know, um, because of that, not because of the lie itself. The lie, if someone sheds light on the lie, some people will still believe the lie. Yeah, like they did with with the Bush lie about there was weapons of mass destruction. They repeated that lie so often. If you ask Cheney today, he'll still tell you that there was weapons of mass destruction. Uh, well, I don't know. You know, it's just, it, if it if it serves his interest at that moment, that's that's creative lying, if you right. will. If it it serves, but there's that tactical lying, there's that this, lying. there's that doctrine that if you repeat a lie enough, people will believe, believe it, right? It. So even if you then change the story a little bit, which is important. <clears throat> now this gets uh, to uh, a theme that I've been raising today. I talked about this before you came. On the, uh, uh, on the air, Adolfo. I've already talked about this with Monroe. Uh, the success with which Donald Trump has taken over the Republican Party yeah. is is mind-boggling. It is. Because if you talk about... I'm, I'm like raising these issues of principle that people of good intention can come together and take a look at the evidence and make a reach a conclusion. Reasonable people can uh, reach a conclusion. What we've set up is a situation where the Republican Party is essentially saying we cannot believe any of the reports that our FBI say on matters dealing with Donald <laughs> They've Trump. They've just basically like uh, 
did a 180 on everything that they've ever believed for just so that they could protect this president. I think also an interesting dynamic is look at the way the Democratic Party treats Bernie and how they haven't kowtowed to him, but the Republicans have kowtowed to. And and my point is this, that generally institutions like a Democratic Party or a Republican Party that go back hundreds of years have... Um, have an as any institution have a hierarchy, have a culture where you know the people in the top, the elite, are the ones who set the rules. It's you know top to bottom, not bottom to top usually. Although there might be some different dynamics. My point is that when Trump ran, the entire elite of the Republican office was against them, mm-hmm. and that's what makes it mind-boggling that the fact that somehow as soon as he got into office. That elite no longer was able to to hold the party. They lost the party to Trump so easily. When this is an elite that's been instituted for hundreds of years, people like that who have money and influence don't generally lose a party overnight. At just the way the Democrats are not losing their party overnight. They're fighting tooth and nail to have Bernie you know, restructure and re, you know, re-agenda their party. That's why they're they, fighting against Bernie. Against yeah, Bernie. Yeah. That's why. That's what you would have expected in the Republican Party: people to have rigged the race against Trump, just the way the Democrats rigged the race against Bernie last time, and all the things that they're still doing to not bring in Bernie to the fold. You would expect the Republican institution, the elites of the Republican Party, to be doing the same things. Well, since and Rick- that's why it boggles the mind. Since Reagan, the Republican Party has been morphing into this white nationalist party. And so Trump was the leader they were waiting for. You know, they claim And that may be the difference, the fact that the Tea Party and all these little things started accumulating over the years and they waited for their moment and then they but still you would still think that there would be a battle between the elites like the Bushes, et cetera, up on the top with the Tea Partiers over who you know, who gets to rule, Trump or the party. Mm -hmm. Right. right. Yeah, well there was a battle and he they lost. Well, but it was like quick, so you would think it would have been you know, something that all right, uh, do we, D, you got that? I would love to hear Monroe and Adolfo riff on this. I wrote about this today, this week in The Reader. Uh, this has been on my mind. Uh, probably asked my, some of our other guests who come on uh, this question too, so they should be prepared for it. Uh, and this has to do with the ongoing division in the Democratic Party, my beloved Democratic <laughs> Party, been a, a regular Democratic voting, uh, a de- regular Democrat voter since the 1970s and I look at this split the Democratic Party and the inability of the mainstream of the Democratic Party to give Bernie Sanders the respect that he deserves and he warrants in my humble opinion. This reminds me of what went down in the 80s with Jesse Lewis Jackson when he ran very much he ran a very Bernie Sanders like uh, a movement. If you take a look at what Jesse Jackson was running on in 1988 and 1984, Monroe Anderson, and you're probably the only guy in the studio old enough to remember. I remember, I remember the speech yeah. he gave at the convention. In, in 84, I was 10, I was 10, 10 years old. The one where about the, you know, um, um, the you know the ghetto. You you know you can take the kid out of the ghetto or something. Yeah. You're probably I, mixing I, up a different Jesse I, I, Jackson yeah, right. speech. No, I I went to New Hampshire with Jesse in 88 a, or in, 84. In, 84, or 84. In, in his fact finding 
mission. He wasn't even a candidate yeah. at that time. <laughs> he was driving he up support. There. Yeah. But th- th- there's been a lack of respect for the left and the Democratic Party uh, by the mainstream of the Democratic Party. And this was exhibited in Hillary Clinton's comments to Howard Stern regarding a Bernie yeah. Sanders. You got it? Let's play it, D. Worry a lot. Because you know how what I, the shenanigans yes, are. Yes, I worry. I worry a lot. You've negotiated yeah. with mm-hmm. them. You've seen secret intelligence. I have. And you know that you know. There's these guys who phone from Nigeria who phone your home and somehow finagle six grand out of you by doing that. Yeah. And you're brilliant at yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine what's going on when Vladimir Putin sits there and plans against the United States. Well, but you know, you can read the, the indictments against the Russians, and I, you know, a lot of people didn't pay attention to it, but it's very. Uh, informative and scary. Do you mean the Mueller report? Yeah, the yeah. indictments. Okay. The report itself, I think, is also worth reading. But if you read the indictments, you know, basically, they were like, hey, let's do everything we can to elect Donald Trump. I mean, that's, those, those are quotes. Those are taken, words they Those said. are words yeah. that taken, and they also said Bernie Sanders, but, you know, that's another for another day. Do we day. hate Bernie Sanders? What? Do we hate Bernie Sanders? No, I don't hate anybody. Bernie could have endorsed you quicker. Uh, he could have. He hurt him. me. There's no doubt about it. He hurt me. But going back to the indictments, because that's right. what's really important. Have you ever spoken to Bernie about that? No. No. You don't I mean, talk to him? I don't talk to him. Yeah, I mean, we did when he finally endorsed me and all that. But and you're he, upset with him? No, disappointed. Disappointed. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, and, and I hope he doesn't do it again to whoever gets the nomination. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I mean, Dude, I listened to that. Condescension in there, man. This kind of, awesome. she's not going to, I hope he doesn't do it to get everyone his nomination as, you know, as opposed to Bernie winning the nomination. There's, you know, there's always that. He's like number one or two in a lot of the oh, polls. Uh, the notion that Bernie Sanders didn't endorse her fast enough. Monroe Anderson, I remember it took Hillary Clinton a little while. I was telling Doris Davenport this the other day. It took uh, Bernie, it took Hillary Clinton a little while before she forgave Barack Obama <laughs> and got around to endorsing him. Oh, yep. And the studies have shown that more Hillary uh, Clinton supporters in 08 voted for John McCain as opposed to Barack Obama, then Bernie Sanders supporters in 016 voted for uh, uh, Trump uh, over Hillary Clinton. So this notion that somehow or other Bernie Sanders has been uh, unfaithful or untrue to Hillary Clinton's political ambitions is unfounded. And I think it does shows tremendous disrespect for the lefties of the Democratic Party who support Bernie Sanders because they believe in his his political programs. What do you think, Monroe Anderson? I, um, I think that I'm, I'm I'm surrounded by Bernie Bros. <laughs> 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 and I think that the problem is Bernie was not a Democrat. Hillary was. And so she. What does had, that mean? Had, what does that mean? Well, it has if if if, 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 if you are Chicago um, bear, and not a um, Detroit. All that lion. means is that you're not the guy. Someone's you know you're you're you, not somebody somebody sent. No, you know? what it means is that you have built up all these chits. Politics is favors and chits and what have you. So, so it goes back to the heart of it. It's entitlement. People. It's the elite of the party's entitlement. No, no, and they're no, fighting it's, for their lives. It's, no, it's the elite, and it's also the association. Um, I'm I'm a member of the um, National Association of Black Journalists. If somebody who used to be a, com- a computer nerd comes into the NABJ, is not part of the group. Uh, then you're not going to get the same allegiance 
as if you've been around everybody. No, I think the you. analogy would be more like if someone who was an independent journalist, a Pulitzer Prize winning, who covered black, uh, you know, uh, issues that affected the black community, tried to go into your organization. That's more what the Sanders no, thing. No, I gotta no, tell you this. No, no, no. Let me just say this. Okay. I, I'm listening. I've heard this argument that Bernie's not a quote unquote real Democrat because he calls he, himself a Democratic Socialist. He runs as no, an independent. He's an independent. independent right. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know what that has to do with the fact that Bernie was out on the campaign trail right. throughout October <laughs> telling people in Iowa they should vote for Hillary Clinton. Right. If he's over such an Donald independent, why does she want his help? But you know? I will say this. I alluded to the presidential campaign of one Jesse Lewis Jackson in 1984-1988, and let me just put on the record, I voted for Jesse Lewis Jackson uh, in 1988 and 1984. I voted for Harold Washington's uh, coalition. People forget that Harold Washington ran a uh, contingent of delegates uh, in 84. But I'll say this, Jesse Lewis Jackson was no Democrat either. If you go back and look, Jesse Lewis Jackson always preached independence from the Democratic machine, and Jesse Jackson so led- talking locally. Not national. He was talking about well, you guys. You changed the you <laughs> no, because no, 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 no. Okay, Ben. No, no, no. This is the reality. Somebody who's been involved in this intimately to some extent. Chicago Democrats are not Democrats. They're Republicans in sheep clothing, or something, or, or I don't know what they are. I mean, they're special breed, but they, they, they. They are not as hooked in to the Democratic Party. The as point some is, other is that I heard the argument used against Jesse Jackson in the '80s uh, that he's not a good Democrat, that he uh, is not, he's broken from the party at certain key times. You can't depend on him to support the uh, the ticket. So, uh, as a good Democrat, I'm not going to vote for him. I'm going to vote for Gary Hart, let's say, or Richard Gabbard. Oh, but Gabbard. that's the racial th- racial thing again. See, that, see, that's where it gets tricky. It, it's, um, if, if if you'll recall, as, as I do, when when Bernie Upton when 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 Harold beat um, became the nominee for mayor, mm-hmm. then all these um, Demo- Democrats became Republicans literally overnight. overnight. Yeah, right. To me, right. the, what Bernie isn't a Democrat or people aren't a Democrat really means is it's not that this person doesn't espouse all of the principles of the Democratic Party, which is what it really should matter, what really should matter between a Democrat and a non-Democrat, it's you didn't wait your turn. No, 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 no. You didn't go through the system. The elites up here expect that you have paid your dues through the different machines and through all the different machineries or whatever. But if Bernie did that, he would never be in a position where he's at now. He espouses the same things that the Democratic Party does. Yeah, that's not it. It's... If, but parties are relationships. Uh, you know, we, that's we, power. We, that's uh, so you're just talking no, about, I'm talking about no, re- relationships power. which turn into power. But it's it's a common experience. He in, threw a monkey wrench to their power system, and he usurped the power system and went right from the bottom to the top. He didn't usurp anything. He, you know, it's, it's, he, Hillary was the nominee, so he didn't usurp anything. Wow. When well, he's Hillary this time, he'll be your serpent. No, he's not going to win this uh, time either. <laughs> but I will, I will say this. Uh, the, the, the part of the what she said that uh, uh, rubbed me the wrong way, as I told Doris Davenport, is that Bernie went on the campaign trail for Hillary Clinton. And Bernie put out an effort to get Hillary Clinton elected. And uh, whatever differences they had in the aftermath of a very contentious election, yeah. uh, 
after a reasonable amount of time, right. which died. was not much more time than Hillary took before she officially right. yeah. forgave Barack Obama, yeah, right. uh, Bernie endorsed her. He gave a, power, a passionate speech uh, at the convention on her behalf. And then he went out, and uh, he's campaigned for her. And there's no appreciation shown for her, for him, for his efforts. It's ingratitude. Because it's irrational. It, the people who hate Bernie hate it for uh, one of several reasons. One, either the, these members of the elite that are fighting for the life of their party and what they're entitled to. Or two, it's because they're these... Bleeding heart liberals who, who think they're enlightened because they have degrees from Harvard and they make great amount of money and they vote Democratic the whole time. But what it really exposes is the fact that they don't give a shit about black people. They don't give a shit about brown people. They just like the, the fact that they have their rights to an abortion and that they, you know, that they could keep making money. I would like to point out uh, before we go any further <laughs> that the man who said that Adolfo Mondragon <laughs> is himself a graduate of Yale University. That's right. But I don't. But I don't. But I don't come just from the elite. But I don't. But I don't come from the elite. I'm yeah. not a, no, an old. No, group. he knows. <laughs> no, he knows how they are. And that's why I know because how, I've been in. I just forgot for a moment. What law school did you go to? The University of Chicago. Thank you, Senator. The, 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 questions? the, <laughs> the devil's den. Yes, I know that. But yeah. that's why I know the enemy so well. Uh, some valid points there. Uh, but I, yes, I, and, and I'm not a Bernie hater. <laughs> I, 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 but no, but there are but, the hate exists. Yeah, I know, though. They, the hate they, exists. I know, I know there are some from people who exist. said who before he 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 ran for president were like, oh, Bernie's the greatest, you know, because he's a feminist and this and that. All of a sudden, he's anti-woman, anti this. All right, anti -that. now before uh, we close down this uh, discussion, which could go for another hour, I'm sure we'll have to bring you two back for this one uh, and bring on Doris Davenport and her mystery guest. I might add, I uh, you raise the issue of hate. Yes. Okay. So we'll close with this question for each of you. Uh, in, in addition to the uh, comments about Bernie uh, in the Howard Stern interview, Hillary said she doesn't hate anybody. Yeah. And I really appreciated that comment. Yeah. Uh, I'm go. But it's I, bullshit. I, you know that, okay, right? Wait. <laughs> let me get to my. <laughs> so uh, I will ask you. Uh, but I had this conversation with Ramana Hussein on Friday about the whole notion of hating, whether you hate somebody in politics or you just dislike their political views, etc. And so forth. <laughs> so we'll close with this, uh, Monroe Anderson. I'll start with you. Uh, do you think that Hillary Clinton hates Bernie? And uh, if and then the second one, uh, is there anybody in politics today that you hate? I, uh, I think she probably strongly dislikes Bernie. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I I don't know. I don't know her that well. <laughs> As for me, I'm not a hater. I'm a lover. Except you and Michael. Uh, <laughs> except. <laughs> except for one Donald J. Trump. <laughs> because I I hate I racists. I, I mean, that's the only thing I hate is racism. And the man is a bold-faced racist. I cannot argue with you on that point at all. Uh, Adolfo, same question I, I think, you. yeah, I think Hillary hates Bernie. The hate is real. I've seen it. And among people that I know, the hate is real. And it's irrational, it's stupid, but the hate is real. And it's hypocritical. And two, yeah, I I, I hate Trump. I hate Miller. I hate a, a bunch of these racists, you know. 
why why am I gonna say, oh, I'm gonna you know semantically say I I have a lot of contempt, <laughs> but I don't hate Trump. I pray for yeah. him like Pelosi did. Yeah, right. Bullshit. Exactly. Come on. Yeah, yeah, because since I'm not a Christian, yeah. then I don't have to go. You know, I mean, you know, like with the uh, with um, Ruth who kills people in the black church just because they were you know. Uh, because they were as as they prayed with him, mm. and then the family comes in later and says, "Well, um, I forgive him, you know, because God is something like that." I I, I don't have that <laughs> capability. I just yeah. I don't have that capacity. Well, I'm a Catholic, I and don't. I still hate Trump. So. Well, I, I I struggle with the whole hate thing. I really I told Doris Davenport this. I really don't like saying I hate somebody, but it's just. I struggle with that one, but there's a lot of people, as Adolfo and Monroe are saying, yeah, man, they really rub me the wrong way. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. It's always a blast talking politics with Monroe Anderson and Adolfo Mondragon. We got Doris Davenport and a mystery guest on deck. We're going to ask this mystery guest a lot of these same questions. Uh-oh, mystery guest is breaking out in a sweat. I know we can handle it. We'll be right back after this. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, commercial break's over, everybody. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. We are indeed live, and boy, that was a lively uh, little debate going. Uh, Monroe Anderson and uh, Dolfo Mondragon. Uh, reminds me, Dr. D, of the days back uh, when we could just... The callers would call in on Bernie and Hillary, you know, those debates. you just mention it, and all of a sudden people would be calling in. Uh, it, there's a, a division in the Democratic Party uh, that is very real. It's one that Democrats are going to have to deal with, in my humble opinion. Ah, uh, the days before you got fired. Yes, the days before. <laughs> you had to say that. I was taking the high road on it. Uh, and uh, those divisions are still there. Uh, the Hillary-Bernie uh, divisions. I'm a guy who voted for both of them. How about that? I voted for Bernie in the primary, turned right around and voted for Hillary in the general. Anyway, uh, Doris Davenport is uh, is with us, uh, one of my favorite people in the whole world. Uh, she has a mystery guest uh, that we'll be introducing as well. But do you have an update for us before we uh, turn things over to Doris? Uh, once again, find us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook and Twitter. Let me go over to the Ben Jarofsky Show live stream YouTube chat. Uh, Kathy, oh, Kathy, by the way, she's always been uh, wanting to follow us on YouTube. She found us on YouTube. She put dead air. Yeah, it's not radio anymore. Sometimes uh, we'll just not play things on the air. So yeah. let's chill out. It's, we'll it's be fine a, and we'll come back. It's called a podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, different things than radio. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. Kathy says, we need better choices. We need better candidates. The parties are the ruling class and have no interest in the people. What do you think about what Kathy said there, Ben? 
I don't know if I'll go that far, uh, but I I do think that the Democratic Party should not be so belligerent uh, toward people of the leftist persuasion. I believe that, and I saw it very much the case in the 1980s when Jesse Jackson ran, as I said, and that was fueled and also that it got to the complications of racial issues. The Democrats were really, they didn't want to alienate black voters who voted for Jesse Jackson, but they didn't want to really embrace the ideas that Jesse Jackson was raising, and he was way ahead of his time with that campaign of his in the 1980s. So I wouldn't say that the parties are the root of all evil. I've been voting Democrat my entire life. But I would say I believe that the Democrats should be a little more tolerant of the uh, the lefty views of their base. So that's how I And finally, it. Doug weighed in on the live stream chat. Thank you very much, Doug. Doug says, Bernie 2020. <laughs> okay. Bernie lover. Doris Davenport, uh, your thoughts on the Bernie. I, I gave you that article to read. Now you're absorbed with that article. <laughs> I knew you would be all, all over. Uh, wait, wait, give it back to me just for a second. What's, what do they call it? The, uh, emotional support. Yeah, oh, that's all I needed. Emotional support. Uh, Doris yeah. Davenport's a regular on the show. She's a uh, radio show host at the station, WCPT. Hey, I said it. How about that, Doris? I saw you even took a picture in front of the WCPT banner. Did I? Yes, he did. I saw did it. Did he? No, not recently. <laughs> I don't remember that, but you know, uh, okay, maybe it was an old picture. Yeah, it was an old picture. He's over it. Yeah. He's not that over yeah, it. I'm not that over it. Uh, yes, it, you are. You're coming on my show. Well, I, Doris Davenport, I would do that. I don't know. I maybe do a, a phone interview, but uh, uh, you've always had uh, the thing I was going to raise. Uh, what is it called? Emotional. Oh well, wait. Okay, we're going to get back to Bernie. Yeah, let's go back to Bernie before. Um, really wanted to get your opinions about uh, what I, we were talking about. I knew mm-hmm. you were listening here. Mm-hmm. You could not hear uh, what Hillary uh, Clinton said to Howard mm-hmm. Stern about Bernie uh, Sanders, because that was played over the mic, over the headphones. Uh, but she said, essentially, she is still uh, a little upset and disappointed is the word mm-hmm. she used with Bernie for not uh, supporting her more quickly. Mm-hmm. I like to point out that it took her quite a while uh, before she decided <laughs> to endorse. Me. Yes, because fair is fair, okay? <laughs> if you get like a month off before you endorse Barack Obama, you should give Bernie the same month off before. I mean, because listen, our mystery guest was involved in a very contentious our re-election battle. Okay, we'll get into that. And I'm sure he wasn't singing Kumbaya to the guy he ran against a week after. At least not within the first 24 hours. Yeah, it takes a while to get over a very divisive election. Mm-hmm. And so for the Hillary supporters to say, Bernie took too long, I feel is unfair to Bernie, considering that Hillary took her own sweet time to forgive Barack Obama for the high crime of running against her in 2008. Uh, so that's my thoughts on that. Now, you tell me your thoughts. Well, I mean, first of all, that's correct. I agree with everything you just said. But you have to remember, I mean, only people like us who are in the bubble remember that, right? That she took all that time before she endorsed Obama. The point of Hillary saying it now is banking on nobody remembers that and just positing we got to save the party that's what this is about this is about bernie not winning 
getting all of the voters that may have issues with the Democrats for all the reasons that the dear senator mentioned. Um, because, yes, my dear Democratic Party has a history of not taking care of home base while they're taking care of everybody else. Black people, black people in the community, number one. I can speak because it's my family, right? We can talk about each other. But um, I think that's what she's doing. Those Democrats that could be on the bubble or, you know, looking at the um, looking at uh, Warren, too, for that matter. She's making a case as to why they shouldn't look Bernie's way. But I'm going to tell you something else. I think there is this love-hate relationship between Clinton supporters and Bernie supporters, without a doubt. Now, I disagree with the senator because I, now I know I'm going to get flack for this, but I experienced it. So this is firsthand knowledge. Bernie supporters, when I supported Hillary, they were so mean. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I thought they were going to come after me with, like, bottles and stuff, really. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that there's no way you're going to find Hillary Clinton standing there singing Kumbaya for Bernie Sanders. But do you remember, and I, I listened to part of the interview, do you remember when she was talking about her father and she spent a lot of time talking about her father because Howard kept asking her all yes. these questions? Mm -hmm. Well, she used the word gruff. And then she talked about how uh, her father used to knock her brothers around. So mm -hmm. there was a bit of domestic violence there. And he was a yeller. I think Bernie reminds her of her father. And that's why she doesn't like Whoa. him. I really do. That's deep. He's very loud. He's very boisterous. He's yeah. very, you know, like he just pushes. Wow. Not that he pushes people around, but he looks like he could. Yeah. I think he reminds her of her father. Could be. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I know it's funny you should say this since it's uh, true confession time on the Ben Jarowski <laughs> show. Uh, <laughs> that when Bernie first uh, burst on the scene and he was always bellowing and stuff, he reminded me a lot of people I know in my own family mm -hmm. that would be yelling and screaming at uh, Thanksgiving time. <laughs> uh, and so I had my issues. I had to deal with that as well. So I understand yeah. that I was able to put it aside because I liked the things <laughs> he was yelling. But I hear what you're saying, Doris Davenport. Uh, there is a certain style that people have. And, and mm -hmm. it's funny because... Um, a style a campaigner has, it could peel, this is going to be so obvious, but it's true. I just loved Harold Washington. Yeah. Who didn't? Uh, well, a lot of people didn't. He barely mm. got elected in 1983 well, when true. he ran. And the thing that I loved about him, his style, a lot of people disliked it. You know, mm. he's too combative. He's too uh, assertive. He's mm -hmm. too charismatic. Yeah, too charismatic. And the same thing with Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson, I've always appreciated Jesse Jackson's mm -hmm. uh, rhetorical capabilities, yeah. you know, his oratorical mm -hmm. supremacy. The man is... He's got the gift of gab. Gifted, to put it mild. <laughs> a lot of people, I can't stand it with Jesse Jackson. Mm -hmm. So I guess, uh, you know, that, by the way, here's... Oh, that's so great. Uh, so anyway, we I do want to bring our mystery guest on and spend a good chunk of our time chatting uh, with our mystery guest. But before we do that, I must address this story. This had your name written all over it. <laughs> and as long as uh, people know this, uh, Doris, there was a story about her in the Chicago Tribune. Uh, she testified in a case uh, regarding uh, the ability of people to pass petitions in Millennium Park. I'm with you 100% on mm -hmm. that one. Uh, We're waiting for the ruling as we speak any day now. All right. We've talked about this on yeah. the show. Pat Quinn's been on the show talking about it. You've been on the show talking about it. Uh, and uh, the, the police will not let people pass petitions in Millennium Park. For some reason, Millennium Park is sacred ground. You can't pass a petition, even though it's a publicly funded park. But Rahm Emanuel can go and give a political speech there. 
basement. Just saying. That is correct. You're pointing out an inconsistency, just as I pointed out one with one Hillary Rodham Clinton. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but this gets back to this is issue of of dogs using dogs. Uh, what is it? Emotion, emotional support dogs. Emotional support dogs. And there was a big article in today's Tribunal, which I brought here because I knew Doris was coming, about the whole issue of there are too many emotional support dogs on airplanes. Yeah. And uh, you usually have your dog with you. In the Tribune story, they talked about how when you testified in that case, you had the dog with you. That's right. Uh, it's a great scene in the Tribune story. <laughs> Whoever the reporter is, I give him or her credit. Uh, so what's your stance on this? Too many dogs on airplanes? Well, so here's the deal. Um, there is a problem, and I'm fear, very fearful that they're going to go the wrong way and hurt people that shouldn't be hurt. There is a lot of abuse in the emotional support dog world. And that's because if you go online and you want to get a license or a vest or something for your dog, everybody's giving them away for you know as much as you'll pay. You can get from $50 to $150, a fake letter from a doctor that says you have the right to have an emotional support dog. Um, clearly, you know, the book that comes out on um, psychological disorders, there's a very, uh, very specific list of disorders that people who have emotional support dogs can get a letter from their doctor saying this person has needs a, an emotional support dog. People just want to take their dogs with them. That's the problem. They put a bow on the hair. They don't train them. They've never spent a day in canine discipline school, and they bring the dogs wherever emotional support dogs are supposed to be able to go. Mm -hmm. Now, you know Mr. Precious Love. Everybody knows Mr. Precious Love. He's been trained since the day he came out. Mm -hmm. He's been with me since he was seven and a half weeks old. When I say stop, he stops. When I say sit, he sits. But we have a strong communication. He's not just a pet. And he was trained that way. He's so if trained, Mr. Precious yes. Love sees another dog, he's not gonna bolt to the other dog, start no, barking. No, no, he's not. Now, he's a dog, so he might, you know, have a little low growl going on, mm -hmm. but he's not like, I mean, there are children more undisciplined than Mr. Precious Love. They won't stop crying when you say, I mean, I didn't, frankly, I don't want to go there, but that is my feeling. If we ban emotional support dogs, then maybe we should ban babies from the planes. Wow. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're a bit of a problem for people. The views and opinions expressed by Doris Davenport are not necessarily those of the Ben Drafsky show. I am not for banning babies, okay? Uh, I just want to get that Well, out I'm there. not either. I'm just kind I of... I know. Being, you're making a point. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, but there is a lot of abuse in that, in that program. But I absolutely do not support only having um, service dogs, as they're called, for vets. I think that is an isolation of, of um, psychological disorders and physical disabilities. And I think it would be an issue of discrimination. And I would be on a lawsuit if they ban emotional support dogs. I absolutely would. Right, well, this is an issue that's coming. We'll probably spend more time talking about this down the road. I'm a big, I love dogs dearly. Uh, and when I read this article, I thought of you. And then there was a, it, other animals that, like, does somebody want to bring a peacock on an airplane? A snake. Uh, a snake. And there's this movie called Snakes on a Plane, one of Dennis's favorite movies. Uh, so we uh, will, we'll, uh, hold this off for another time. So allow me to ask you to introduce your mystery guest. Who yes. is your mystery guest? <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm mm-hmm. really, really excited about this because, you know, this is election time. There are mm-hmm. a lot of races uh, that, that we're going to have to vote on. And there's a really, really popular race. And that is the race for the clerk of the circuit court. The, the seat was held by Dorothy Brown. I have a young man here in the studio. If you look at the entire cadre of people that are running for this seat, there is not one more uniquely qualified than this young man right here. Many of you know him. He has been in elected office before. But what you may not know is that he was born for public service. That's right. He came out serving the public. He's been with the <laughs> top three most popular yeah. African-American black caucus members since he started working, really, from that young age. I bring to you none other than the next <laughs> clerk of the circuit court of Cook County, Mr. Richard Boykin. All right, Richard Boykin. What an introduction. Well, thank you very much, Doris. I got to take you everywhere I go. That's unbelievable. I thought it was Jesse Lewis Jackson there for a second. All right, Mr. Boykin, we're old friends, Richard Boykin and myself, back in that show, which I alluded to. Uh, He would come on. And in those days, you were a a commissioner in the Cook County Board. Correct. I was alluding to the very uh, uh, contentious race you had with another good friend of mine, Brandon. Brandon Johnson, I got friends on both sides, uh, and he defeated you in that race. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, we're going to get into why you're running for uh, clerk of circuit court, uh, what the clerk of circuit court is, why it's an important position, uh, and what you think you can do for it. But before we do that, let's just catch people up a little bit. Uh, when the last time you were on my show and you came into the hideout as well, uh, you were very much a how do i put this like an independent i would put position you as an independent on on the cook county board of commissioners you were unafraid to speak out against president uh, tony preckwinkle and particularly the issue that people know you i think most know you for is that you led the opposition uh to the what i call the soda pop tax which is an ancient issue richard boykin uh but it was a very powerful and passionate one back in 2017 i want to say or 2018 uh so talk about your your time on the county board and uh sort of the legacy you have there well ben first of all let me thank you for having me back on the show and my, you got a great studio here. Uh, I'm honored to be here. Let me thank Doris Davenport as well. I'm Richard Boykin, and, you know, I was born in Mississippi, raised in Inglewood. I'm a proud graduate of Chicago Vocational High School. Uh, I was elected to the county board in 2014 uh, in a five-way race. Was I was the underdog, but we won the race. And we got on the county board, and we did a lot of innovational and transformational things. I uh, I was most proud of the fact that we did lead the effort to get rid of the sweetened beverage tax. I mean, it was more than just soda pop. It was juices and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm also proud of the fact that uh, we got rid of the feminine hygiene uh, uh, tax that was on, you know, women whenever they go buy their uh, their materials. Uh, we got rid of that. Tampons and menstruation pads. Yes. Thank you, Doris. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we worked with the inspector general and created a position at the county uh, to deal with sexual harassment lawsuits, a a dedicated position that's funded in the budget. We got that done. I passed legislation to prevent county uh, police, county sheriff's police, force preserve police from choking people when they apprehend them. 
we did a lot of stuff. Uh, we stood up uh, with Dr. Willie Wilson and paid seniors property taxes so they wouldn't lose their homes mm-hmm. to the property tax sale. Um, and, and so I'm so proud of these things that we've been able to accomplish uh, on the county board. Look, this is an opportunity running for clerk of the circuit court to uh, provide vision and leadership over the busiest court system in the world, mm-hmm. the second largest in the United States of America. And quite frankly, we have more lawsuits filed at the clerk of the circuit court than any other court in the world. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Clerk Dorothy Brown's been there for 19 and a half years. It's what I call the front door to our justice system. So if you file a lawsuit or if you're a party to a lawsuit, you got to go through the clerk's office. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that that front door is welcoming. I want to make sure that uh, we have friendly staff, that we have staff that's informed and engaged, that take care of the customers who come through those doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not just talking about taking care of lawyers, because that's one set, and I'm a lawyer and I'm proud of that. But I'm also talking about taking care of those individuals who are pro se litigants. And we're seeing more and more pro se litigants come in, and that's people who are representing themselves that as lawyers. They don't have a lawyer. And so we got to make sure that, uh, that they get taken care of and that their issues get taken care of so that they can have access to justice. And so I'm so excited about that office and actually moving it forward. Uh, not only on the customer service side of things, but also on the technology side of things, uh, bringing it into the 21st century, uh, building upon the work that Clerk Dorothy Brown has done on expungement. Obviously, with uh, recreational marijuana law, there's going to be more than 500,000 people in the state eligible to have their records expunged. Uh, The clerk's office has been leading the effort in terms of expungement. I want to build upon that so that people will have an opportunity to have jobs, support themselves, support their families, and become tax-paying citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make sure that we're accountable and transparent. I want to get us from under the Shackman decree. So that means no political hiring. That means we're going to do things above board. We're going to make sure that uh, we report back to the taxpayers of Cook County. We do quarterly reports and that we're accountable. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that people who utilize the office have an opportunity to say, hey, did that person provide good service for you? And if they didn't, then we have a problem, right? All right, now let me uh, break down some of the things you said. Uh, before we go back to your days in the county commission, you've raised the issue of the court, so let's deal with that right now. And Richard, uh, it's been a while, but uh, I used to use uh, the courthouse all the time looking for documents, looking up cases. Right. And um, so here's my uh, evaluation of the uh, clerk of the circuit court uh, right now. The staff, they're very friendly. They're very outgoing. I give them an A. Okay. When I go there, uh, or when I have in the past, they laugh at my jokes, okay, you know, uh, which is get you far in life. Uh, and they provide the, the files uh, very quickly and very courteously. So that's my opinion, the staff, and my humble opinion that Dorothy Brown uh, hired and oversaw for all these years does a great job. But the court is like in the, the beyond that it's like going back into time it's almost like another century i've expect somebody with a, a a fountain pen i mean a quill as opposed to a fountain pen or a computer and uh so it's this odd juxtaposition richard we're great staff but like 
1960s types of technology uh, and it's it's inexcusable to some degrees like the lawsuits that you want to look up you can't find on the internet uh, you can't get access to these public documents and lawyers are always complaining to me who who need it on a regular basis about uh, how long the delays are how inadequate it is um, do you think those my criticism is warranted when I talk about the uh, the, the the court from this technological aspect? Well, look, I think that uh, obviously we can do better. I think that I've heard the same arguments. I've heard the same complaints from people, from lawyers, and from individuals whose files have been lost and they've had to stay in jail for an extra day or two because they couldn't find their file, mm -hmm. which I think uh, we have to tighten up things. Uh, I know there's a new case management system that just uh, was launched couple of weeks ago, a 30-some million dollar case management system. But I think that uh, we have to bring to bear every ounce of technology that we have to innovate, to make things uh, streamlined and simpler for everybody to access them, and to make sure that those files are readily accessible and that we don't lose them. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to make sure that uh, we digitize, and I know that uh, Clerk Brown is in the process of digitizing documents, but I want to make sure that we go paperless, you know, at the end of my term, by the end of four years, I want to make sure that that office is paperless. And I also want to make sure that those individuals in the community who are suffering from the digital divide, who can't access uh, computers or who have difficulty accessing computers, that they too can e-file, that they too have a process where they don't lose their justice rights because they're afraid of technology. Mm -hmm. So I embrace all of that. I embrace ideas from, from staff. I embrace ideas from outside uh, lawyers, from, from, from constituents of the office itself. But one thing we got to do, uh, Ben, and, and I'm serious about this, this office is not an office that's just for Democrats. This office doesn't belong to one political party. This office belongs to the taxpayers of Cook County, which is everybody. And so... I will be the clerk that represents everybody, mm -hmm. and I'll make sure that that office works on day one. All right. Now, uh, when I'm listening to you talk, I'm going back in my mind to a roughly 20, 2010, it was, uh, and when uh, Miguel de Valle uh, took over as city clerk, and uh, he, the city <laughs> the filing system was such a joke for the city of Chicago in the first part of this century. Uh, and I, I could say this, uh, Richard, as a, uh, a guy who was constantly looking for a record, voting records. How did aldermen vote on a certain issue? What was a certain TIF ordinance? Mm -hmm. uh, what was, you know, I, I wanted to see the actual documents. And it wasn't on the internet. It wasn't a computer. It was like the computer hadn't been invented yet. You had to go down to the public library and they had the uh, city council uh, record books. I'm telling you, like these thick, like phone books of city council uh, proceedings. And uh, I give Delvaya uh, credit uh, uh, for he was the one who brought in the computer geeks and they got stuff online. And now pretty much I could follow anything in real time uh, that the city council does. And I take advantage of that all the time. What is it about you, Richard Boykin, like the inner computer geek in you that you could tell voters out there in Cook County that you know what to do to bring the uh, 
the courthouse into the 21st century. So look, I've been prepared for this, uh, for this moment. Born in Inglewood, I understand what it's like to uh, be in a situation where you're struggling. I had my share of struggles. We were on welfare, food stamps, in fact. And so most of the folks who come through that office are African-Americans, Latinos. They're, they're, they're coming through. They're paying tickets. They're seeking child support. They're probating the states. Uh, and they're doing all sorts of things. And so we need somebody in that position who's compassionate, somebody who understands them. Uh, that office, we need to deal, deal with the fees and the fines on these tickets. We need to make sure that we got somebody who can go to Springfield and say, hey, wait a minute. If people are in a certain uh, income bracket, they shouldn't be worried about a spiral of debt because of a traffic ticket. You know, and so we need somebody who's compassionate, somebody who's thoughtful. Look, when I was on the county board, I brought together uh, the best team. I had people around me who understood how to get things done. I also went directly to the people. I held more town hall meetings than anybody, and I solicited the ideas of the people, what they wanted to see. So I plan to leverage my legal training and work with the bar associations, work with the legal aid clinics and foundations to see how we all can work together to utilize their support. I want to extend the legal aid uh, clinics into the clerk's office so that they can help those litigants who are pro se mm -hmm. litigants and litigants who are coming in, uh, you know, just with basic questions of law mm -hmm. that, you know, if you're a clerk and you're not a lawyer, you can't be providing legal advice. But if you're with a legal clinic, and of course there's one there now working, but that line is so long downstairs in the Daily Center, I want to make sure that we have more people there providing services for the people of Cook County. I want to make sure that uh, we use the best practices from around the country. There are a number of court systems that are running fine. Look, if you go into the federal court system, uh, it's running smoothly. But certainly they don't have the volume of cases that we have in the clerk's office in the Circuit Court of Cook County. And so, you know, but we got to figure out how to get it done, and I'm the person who'll figure it out because I understand how to get these big things done. You're not afraid of technology. If uh, the thought of me, for instance, running the the courthouse would be so funny, because I'm not that Richard. You probably know this. I can barely figure out a cell phone. Uh, you feel confident, and capable of, of dealing with the various vendors who be coming before you, trying to sell the county on all new kind of te technological innovations or uh, updates, improvements. You feel capable of being able to uh, pick apart uh, the different proposals and understand from a technological standpoint, what would be in the best interest of the taxpayers? Uh, no question about it. I'm the most competent, qualified candidate for this position. And let me tell you, I bring the right people and put the right people on the team who will ask the tough questions. And I'll ask tough questions myself, too. But I think when you have a team of individuals who are trained in certain areas, I'm not an expert in every area, mm -hmm. but... I'm smart enough to know that you got to have the right people on your team. I'm also smart enough to know that you got to do the things that are in the best interest of the county taxpayers. And that's what I've done my entire life, uh, especially in public service to the county, 
but also when I worked for three of the most progressive members of Congress, Senator Carol Mosley Braun, Congressman Bobby Rush, and Congressman Danny Davis. I mean, I put people first. Mm -hmm. And when you put people first, I think everything else falls in place. All right. Uh, we're going uh, to uh, switch gears here a little bit. I'm going to talk about a little political considerations. You talked about what you could do uh, in terms of running the office. First, you got to get elected uh, to the <laughs> office. Uh, and uh, uh, that, of course, I presume you've, you've, you've already put your, you brought your signatures in. You've collected your signatures and brought them in. Has anybody challenged your signatures? Ben, the good news is we're on the ballot. Okay, you're already on the ballot. And, and guess what? What? Nobody challenged my signatures. And guess what, Ben? I submitted more signatures than anybody else, including the Democratic Party. Wow. Nobody's challenged your signatures that I just leap to the conclusion that my dear friend Ricky Hendon is supporting you uh, because he would be the guy that challenges your signatures if anybody would. Uh, you know, I love you, Ricky Hendon. All right. Now, um, Okay, so you're on the ballot. You haven't been challenged by the party. When you were on the board, as I pointed out, uh, you were unafraid, to put it mildly, to challenge uh, President Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, and as I pointed out, one of the great debates we ever had at the hideout was with you and Larry Sufferton, who is uh, Tony's finance committee chair and a very gifted debater, I might add, uh, went at it over the issue of what you call the sweet and beverage tax, and I called it the soda pop tax. It was a, a great debate. I wish... There were twice as many people to see it because they would always go to us. We weren't there that night. They would go, my dear friend. And then they were like, you mother babe. But they would always like, start with, like my dear English. friend. And then they would trash. Well, as my dear friend says, you know, Boykin's acting so nice now. He wasn't so nice that night at the hideout. All right. So it was a very uh, contentious dispute right. that you had or right. uh, difference of opinion. Let's put it that way. So how are things right now uh, with you? and uh, President Preckwinkle. Look, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt said something great. She said, yesterday is history, tomorrow's a mystery, and today is a gift. And it's a present, basically. And then my friends from the Congressional Black Caucus said it like this. They said, no permanent enemies, no permanent friends, just permanent interests. My interest is the taxpayers of Cook County. I will work with anybody. You know, it doesn't matter to me. I want to work with anybody, and I'll always put people first. Mm -hmm. I put my district first on that. I mean, let me tell you, had I, in hindsight, had I voted for the pop tax, I get reelected overwhelmingly because I may draw a couple of opponents, but guess what? Labor unions don't put a million dollars against me. I mean, and Tony Preckwinkle doesn't come after me. But I did what was in the best interest of the people, and I did, and I do the same thing today. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so, I mean, that's that's the kind of guy I am. I'm going to stand up for the people, and I'm going to do what I believe is right. Uh, we were talking before you came on the show about uh, Hillary's fight with Bernie and Bernie's fight with Hillary and whether Hillary waited uh, enough, or Bernie waited enough time uh, it took too much time before he endorsed Hillary and whether Hillary uh, took too much time before she endorsed uh, President Obama when he was running in 208. Uh, have you made up uh, with Brandon Johnson? Have you, there was, that was a very heated uh, campaign. Have, are you getting along with him these days? Let me days? tell you, uh, Ben, one thing that you can know about me is I'm a bridge builder. Uh, I've reached out to Commissioner Johnson and I've offered my assistance. I've offered, 
you know, assistance on certain items. Uh, I believe that there's a piece of legislation that I introduced that uh, that would have provided free homes for police officers, firefighters, teachers, paramedics, uh, first responders. If they live and work in endangered communities for five years, we give them a free home at the end of five years. That's a way to build up the community. I think he's going to look at that legislation, look at doing something around that. His relationship with President Preckwinkle, perhaps she'll do it. I mean, she wouldn't do it when I was there because I put the idea forward. But it's okay. I mean, because every idea whose time has come Mm -hmm. will eventually uh, get to the forefront. And so it's all about being a bridge builder. And so, yes, the answer is I have reached out, and I've talked to him on numerous occasions. Um, You know, I'm looking forward, my friend. And and I think that, um, you know, what, what's ahead of me is much better than what's behind me. And so the good book says it like this, Ben, forgetting those things which are behind us, I'm pressing forward towards the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's what I'm doing. Wow. It's pretty impressive that you can just quote something from me. Now, I do, I'm not familiar with that particular uh, quote, so I can't challenge you, Richard Boykin. I'm just going to have to work that you got good, it right. right. It sounds good. It's, it's for real. It's in the good book. Uh, if you... Putting the good book aside, if you can get uh, Brandon Johnson to endorse you and the Chicago Teachers Union to endorse you after what went down, then you deserve to be in the good book because uh, that will be a quite. I was talking about the need for Hillary to to let it go and openly express gratitude to Bernie Sanders. Uh, for what he did do, as opposed to worrying and concentrating about what he didn't do, okay? I was talking about that. And I believe in general, as a principle and a policy, that politicians should do. It's easy for me to say, Doris Davenport, because I've never <laughs> run for office, but it is a contested game. It'd be like the Bulls still hating the Pistons for what went down in 1989 uh, when they uh, Lambeer hit Scottie Pippen in the head and knocked him out. So yeah, at some point, you got to get over it in politics in my humble opinion uh richard and uh so that's sort of my sermon for the day uh anything you want to uh say to folks uh before i let you go any like website where they can get more information about you any stuff like that richard boykin well first of all ben let me thank you and let me thank doris davenport for having me on i thank you for everything that you're doing in terms of providing great information for your listeners If they want to learn more about the Boykin plan to reform the clerk's office, they can go on my website at www.richardrboykin.com, www.richardrboykin.com. We got a real plan. I'm excited about it. And if people want me to come to their community to talk about our plan, I'm delighted to do that as well. They can face, get me on Facebook at Richard R. Boykin too, Facebook. I just want to add, typically, you know, you all were talking so much about religion and quoting scripture and stuff. You know, you typically see pastors passing the plate on Sundays. Mm -hmm. Last night, a wide range of pastors came together not to pass the plate, but to fill the plate. They did a fundraiser for Richard R. Boykin. Can you believe that? No. The pastors I don't believe deep that. into their <laughs> yes, own pockets. Yes, yes, they did. Uh, some pastors I've never met. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, but just, all right, Boykin, B-O-Y-K, 
uh, I N, correct? I have Boykin. A, Boykin, yeah. Uh, I'm a, I have trouble with spelling. And uh, you know what? In all fairness, I uh, will bring all the candidates on. You know, Doris knows that. You got to be mm-hmm. fair. Bring them all on. There's uh, at least two, as I think of it now, off the top of my head, uh, that are running uh, as well as Richard Boykin. So uh, I. Uh, Jacob Meister's campaign has already been reaching out to me uh, as well. So um, anyway, uh, Richard Boykin, it was a blast talking to you again. And I hope, win or lose, you come back to the show. Well, let me tell you, when we win, we're coming back. Okay. All right. When we win, I like that confidence. Uh, Doris Davenport, thank you as well. also want to thank Monroe Anderson, Adolfo Mundragon. What a great uh, debate that was. Hillary and Bernie, man, it never gets old. Uh, the Democratic Party's got to figure some stuff out. And, of course... The man, the myth, the legend, as Richard Boykin knows, back home in Alton, Illinois, they call him White Lightning. Lightning. (laughs) My name's Dennis. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders, we live stream this program. It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both, uh, well, at the Chicago Sun-Times uh, YouTube channel, chicagosuntimes.com, chicagoreader.com. We hope you'll join us. See you tomorrow. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.